Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegen Impressing. I'm Anufit, he's Stefan Bianchowski and also joining us today is Matt Ford. First of all, to you two, Happy New Year, guten Rutsch, as you say in German. Um, Stefan, how was Happy New Year? Um, I know in Scotland you guys do it over two year, two days, because why not? So how are you doing? Yeah, happy Hogmanay, as we say in Scotland. <laughs> um, doing very well, mate. Uh, yeah, had lots of fun with my family on Hogmanay. Um, we actually did a murder mystery with my parents and some friends, right. so that was quite good fun. On Sky? Um, no, this was in Glasgow. We were in Sky ah, okay. for my wife's parents uh, on Christmas, so we kind of did all the rounds. Lots of driving uh, in the hey. snow and the rain, and I'm sh actually looking forward to just settling down doing nothing in January. Yeah. So, yeah, very well, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I've been itching to get back into the swing of things, so I'm glad we're doing this. Totally. And Matt, always noise. Um, Happy how, New Year. How was, was it for you? <laughs> uh, seemed a bit quieter than Stefan's. Um, I was literally tucked up on the couch watching TV by 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Uh, and I felt all the better for it. I think that's the best way to do New Year. So, yeah, yeah had a that... nice and nice relaxed one. Great. Um, yeah, it wasn't the easiest Christmas New Year for me and my family, but we're getting through it. Um, had a really nice time over the New Year's weekend in Seattle um, with some friends, um, just getting away from everything. And that was fantastic. So yeah, I'm just so stoked to be back um, on the show, getting to Bundesliga football is going to be back this weekend. And we have so much to discuss on the show. So let's do a break and then just jump right into it. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up to date, up to the seconds odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code Believe. That is B L E A V. Believe to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, um, guys, so some really sad news to start the podcast with. And we're not going to dwell on this too much because, Stefan, I think you and I have um, planned a special bonus show on this for yeah. later this week. Um, Franz Beckenbauer pa passed away on Sunday. The family released the information today literally the hour before um, we went online. So, yeah, condolences to the family. Just real quick, Stefan and Matt. Stefan, such a huge figure in German football. And seeing him gone, I think for a lot of people, that's a lot of memories um, that are probably coming up today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he obviously had a much wider profile in Germany itself, but internationally, yeah. um, you know, I don't think it's, 
too far to say almost one of the kind of founding fathers of modern German football. Um, which, you know, is, you know, it, it's it's something, things like the word legend are obviously thrown around a lot modern, but when it comes to German football, which, you know, as most German football fans will know, uh, was a little later in its development than, you know, football in England and Italy and stuff, and because of obviously things that happened in the 20th century. Um, but him and that kind of generation of Bayern Munich players and what they did with Germany as well, or West Germany, I guess, um, yeah, it's it's it is his his legacy and his influence and um his his influence as well um just hard to kind of measure really and few really compare to be honest so a, a, a very very sad day for German football absolutely mad any thoughts from you yeah I mean there's probably people a lot better placed with much longer memories than me who could speak uh, in much much more depth about Franz Beckenbauer but um. Yeah, a colossal giant, giant of the game, um, and characterised an entire era, several eras. Um, I was just thinking before. Obviously, it's not not quite the same year anymore, but um, only a few months after we lost uh, Sir Bobby Charlton as well. Um, yeah, very much a um, a contemporary of of Klaus Beckenbauer's, and uh, I believe the two were actually quite good uh, quite good friends in in uh, in later years. Um, so yeah, to lose two giants of European football in such a short space of time, it really does signify the uh, the end of an era, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with the the legend of the Wart- Marchen from Giesing, um, and we'll cover that little piece of uh, legendary Franz Beckenbauer tidbit um, in, in greater detail. Of course, for me, you know, he's been uh, growing up in Germany and German football and larger than life, won the World Cup as a player in 1974, won the World Cup as a head coach, and this is the first World Cup I do remember the final of. Don't remember much else of the tournament. I was still quite young, but the final I do remember and um, Bremer, of course, scoring the penalty and Beckenbauer leading the country to the World Cup um, as the first player coach to win the World Cup. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah, it's a sad day for German football. And we'll, we'll cover it in depth, um, so keep your eyes open for that, um, on ears, of course, as well. Um, but guys, we have a ton to get into. Um, I guess start with Hans-Joachim Watzke, Stefan. Um, the news today that he is going to step down from his uh, duties at Borussia Dortmund in 2025, um, you know, basically ad hoc statement which they have to do because they are um, a stock exchange company in Germany. They had to announce this. Um, the statement basically said that, you know, he's not going to renew his contract. He's he's saying that he's, he's done. Um, an end of an era for Borussia Dortmund, but I would argue it's about time. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 yeah, you're right. It was quite surprising. Um, and possibly a surprise for a lot of people at Dortmund too. Uh, I was speaking to someone this afternoon about who the kind of person is that's lined up to replace him because that's obviously something that hasn't been um, confirmed or or even speculation seems to be um, few and far between at the moment. And, you know, speaking to someone who kind of knows that are workings at the club and they were telling me that um, the reason perhaps that he's given himself such a long um, shall we say kind of swan song um, is because 
none of that has even been discussed yet. Nothing's planned. Nothing's in line. Uh, there is no successor in place as of yet. So, you know, in a, in a sense, it was kind of out of the blue. And it, it, it also is, is fascinating when you kind of contextualize it within what's going on at Dortmund right now, the upheaval at the club, um, the, 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 the real kind of, um, you know, just sheer amount of, of reaction they've had to do to what this that, that that first half of the season. You know, whether it be the head coaches have come in and Nuri Sahin and, and, and Bender as well, um, whether it's the players are trying to sign, who we'll obviously go on to talk about later on the show, um, and now the board itself seems to be getting a rejig. So it seems like from top to bottom, um, there's a lot going on at Dortmund and. Yeah, Vatska's Vatska's going to leave a very interesting legacy. The thing that keeps coming to mind, and this obviously shows my age, I guess, um, in the sense that, and 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 the kind of internet culture that I grew up in. But it reminds me of that that line from the uh, the Dark Knight. You know, you either live, you either die a hero, or live long enough to become the villain. And I, I think there's a degree of that with Vatska in the sense that you know what he did for Dortmund um, in terms of getting them through very difficult kind of financial s- struggles. Uh, in more times, and you know, in, in in two senses, in the sense, obviously, the first time, but also during COVID as well, which is what kind of led to him extending his 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 role, because uh, I think there was the the general consensus that he was planning on kind of packing it in before that, but stuck around to steady the ship through those kind of very troubled waters. Um, but he now kind of steps down with a lot of frustration, I think, from fans. I mean, I think. You know, once he does move on, the kind of that frustration will kind of melt away, and you know, people will look back with rose tinted glasses at the successes the club had when he was in charge, and they were a lot of successes. But I think it's probably fair to say that maybe he kind of extended that beyond when he should have. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll shut up and let somebody else talk. Yeah, I, I think you, you're quite right. I think you you point out something very important here that, um, when I said it's about time, I don't mean because he hasn't done in generally a good job because I think he really da- hit, did. I mean, he steered Dortmund through diverse crises, saved the club from financial ruin, right? Um, and then turned him into a club that, for a time at least, really challenged Bayern Munich. Um, I think what happened after is where a lot of discontent um, has come, where they just never really seem to fulfill their potential completely. And this notion of not maybe bringing in the sort of change uh, needed to compete in modern football, um, this idea of always, you know, being a seller's club, I think there needs to be a development step that comes beyond that. And Matt, I'm really surprised Carsten Karma's name isn't mentioned as a automatic successor. We've seen it by Munich how difficult a successorship can be, and obviously Oli Hoeneß is more or less back. Um, but this is going to be quite a difficult transition, right? Uh, yeah, but as Stefan said, that's why they've given themselves um, a good, good eighteen months, or so, best yeah. part of eighteen months now to um, to to sort all this out. Um, the announcement, in the great scheme of things, didn't come as big as as big a surprise to me as it um, perhaps I don't know, maybe did to. To, to Stefan or the way at least the way you were talking about it because um, as you mentioned it, this was mooted a few years ago just before the uh, well just just before Covid hit and um, the reason for him staying was to yeah to help steer the uh, 
the good ship Borussia Dortmund through the through the pandemic and Dortmund were hit extremely hard by the pandemic, um, harder than most, uh, simply by virtue of having the biggest stadium and lo- losing the most gate seats. Um, although there were there were other reasons as well. Um, you'll either, I think, on balance, a positive a positive legacy. Um, the COVID crisis was the um, the third big challenge that he that he stared Dortmund through. We've already mentioned the financial crisis, which uh, posed a genuinely existential threat to the club back in two thousand three, four, five. Um, that was when that was when Vatska joined the board. Um, he'd already been in the club for a few years as treasurer, I think, um, but he, he joined the board in two thousand five, um, and yeah, played a a decisive role and a key role in helping to stabilise and uh, stabilise the club, um, set it up in a financially stronger position. Um, obviously, yeah, helped. And I'm not sure if, it's, if, if it was helped by that, but he was certainly one of the leading figures who oversaw um, Brussels Dortmund's development as a, as a club listed on the stock exchange. Um, so he has been a key figure. The the second challenge which we haven't mentioned yet was I think often gets forget uh, often gets forgotten in a lot of discussions around Dortmund in, in recent years is the the bomb the bomb attack in two thousand seventeen. Vatska um, played and well let's say Im- important key uh, role in that. I think depending on who you ask for for good or for bad. Um, I don't think he was completely without blame in the in the aftermath. I think if you asked. Uh, if you ask Thomas Tuchel and some of the players, they, um, yeah, they would probably still have criticisms of his of elements of of, of his of his actions around that. But, um, given the magnitude of the situation, I think on on balance, he, um, I, th- I think Valsky did do um, a gen a, a generally good job of steering the club through yet another difficult time. Um, and even though. I think it's right to point out that there are clearly frustrations these days, and um, if there is any sort, if if there is, if there does seem to be a lack of strategy on the pitch, off the pitch, transfer policy, youth policy, what Borussia Dortmund should stand for, if if, if there are those doubts now, um, then I think that's good. Yeah, that's good. Does have have that to answer? It probably is why it's come to an end. I don't think there's any harm in things coming to an end, um, but that. And that that that's up there are questions for the future, but that probably shouldn't cloud over the fact that um, the philosophy that is came to be criticised a little bit by the ends in Dortmund too much of a selling club. Uh, I think it's also forgotten sometimes that you know in cooperation with Michel Zorc and others at Dortmund that you know Vatska was a key element in developing that sort of club football slash business strategy in the first place. Um, Scouting well, scouting cheap, buying cheap, but with with the absolute intention of selling on, because that was the method that they identified with which they could challenge um, challenge Bayern Munich, and they had different you know, differing amounts of success uh, of success in that. I think just because that philosophy, that strategy, wore itself out in the end, um, I, I don't necessarily think that means it was a complete failure on 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 Hans Joachim Vatska's part. Um, but it probably does mean that it, it makes sense for all parties to move on. And as we said, Brussels Dortmund have a, a, um, a fork in the road. And um, yeah, it's the, a, a, it's the end the end of an era there. And they've got the best part of 18 months to work out where to go from here. Mm. I think 
just to jump in there, Manu, very briefly before we maybe move on, just to kind of hammer home that point that Matt was saying there that, you know, if you do, you, you know, because it is, you know, you, you go in the forums and stuff and it is, you see a lot of kind of Dortmund fans frustrated with Vasca and the way the club's behaved and God knows we've done it as well on this show and we've talked about Vasca maybe having to move on a number of times um, but, you know, you have to take that with, um, you have to balance that out with what he accomplished at the club and, you know, just thinking about it, you, I think you could make a strong argument he's arguably one of the most important people that Dortmund have ever had as an as a single individual because how important he was to, you know, we we're talking about a club here that was went from the verge of bankruptcy to, you know, back-to-back Bundesliga titles in the space of 10 years. And, you know, of course, Dortmund would have probably stumbled on somehow without him, you know, but we would have been talking about another Kaiserslautern or something. You know, I, I genuinely believe that in the sense that they would have been relegated and it would have been turmoil. And, you know, German football is... You know, it's 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 a graveyard of former giants that have struggled financially and fallen on hard times and really struggled to get back on their feet. Perhaps Schalke are unfortunately a good example of that, although there's probably far more severe examples of that possibly. Um, and so I think that is really worth pointing out. You know, in terms of that period of Dortmund's history, um, and you know, as Matt said, the kind of the way that they managed to gamify modern football and, and the economics of modern football to kind of give themselves a leg up and as as Matt said you know maybe Michael Zork was perhaps the, the real architect behind that part of it but that's something that will that's will be the top line of his obituary when it comes to Dortmund you know it's not going to really be the politics in his latter years maybe the malaise um, which you could argue is maybe just a natural reaction to the fact that they were so good at gaming a certain period of European football that naturally what came next is something that you know you can't really you can't um in lightning doesn't strike twice shall we say you know it, it's 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 that kind of aspect that and that's why people like ourselves who watch Dortmund week to week year in year in and Dortmund fans themselves would say have have grown frustrated in recent years because they knew how well it worked in the past and why it's not working now and maybe Dortmund took too long to realize that themselves um and you know as Matt said maybe obviously the COVID pandemic elongated Vatska's maybe his how he felt a necessity to keep to stay there and keep things taking along um but you know it's almost like what 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 um that kind of financial prudence and that kind of care that he and Zork and others put towards finances the finances of the club uh, were his greatest strength and his greatest weakness in the sense that it was obviously crucial to them getting beyond that bankruptcy uh, um, situation but in latter years of his reign you could see and you could argue that Dortmund were a club that were run by numbers rather than real sporting merit or sporting demands um, and I think that's probably the why there's a complicated aspect of Vasquez's legacy but I think in time the the, 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 the stuff that happened earlier will, will far outweigh these kind of last kind of five or six years of frustration I mean, when you when you look at it, um, the bottom line is two Bundesliga titles. Um, I think two German Cups as well. Um, yeah, three, Champions I League. think. Three, yeah, you're right, right? One under Klopp, one under Terzic, and one under Tupel. Three. Um, the Champions League final, of course. Um, I think except for one year, 
after the club era, every year in the Champions League. I think there's only one year they missed out. Um, you know, these um, the, it's astonishing considering where the club was when they were almost bankrupt in the early 2000s. Um, it just seems like the next developments that is now needed. And I think this is where we get to this. And Matt, you rightfully pointed this out as a fork in the road, right? It's going to be fascinating to see what comes next. And, you know, the news are still fresh. Um, I've spoken a couple of times to Carsten Karma, who is, you know, sort of the right-hand man for Hans-Joachim Watzke and I think is, is quite progressive. It's going to be interesting to see whether he goes to step up. Or, and I think this is maybe something to consider, if they're going to go club external, um, if they're going to bring in someone who's not currently at the club, these things can be difficult. And, you know, I, I can only point at Bayern Munich where they also and initially hoped that they would have long, lots of time for the transition, right? Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge stayed on for a year to work with Oliver Kahn, yet that didn't work out. Um, they're essentially back to where they were before with, with a completely new board that still adds people. That's what I mean. Like, even with that eight-month period, a transition like that can be difficult. And I'm just so very curious to see where they're going to go with it. I know we're entering a little bit of speculative territory, guys, but would it be maybe better for them to go external? Matt, I think, what do you think? I think, I think either way, um, it's going to have to be whether internal or external. It's going to have to be somebody who can um, who can come to terms and get to grips with what is going to be in the next in the next few years. And perhaps sooner than we think, a completely new football world. Um, I don't think it's. Or I also don't think it's a surprise that Vasco stepped down so soon after his interim period in charge of the German Football League (DFL). If we go back to some of the chats we had last year about the uh, the initial attempt to um, to secure a private equity investor deal, that was under the leadership, the interim co-leadership of uh, of Vatska. And Axel Hellman, um, and I, I think Vatsky very much saw that as his baby as as well. And I think he was, um, well, I don't think I, I know he was he was visibly shocked and uh, uh, pretty pretty distraught. It seemed by the when that initial vote went against him um, back in um, back in May. Um, obviously, he still retains a place on the on the supervisory board at, board at the um, at the DFL. But it's going to be it's going to be a new football going forward. Uh, the UEFA Champions League reform is already um, yeah already in the starting gates and ready to go. Uh, we've already had our final group stage, haven't we? So that's also history. And uh, we have a, an expanded FIFA Club World Cup around the corner. So all of these issues, um, you know, you've got challenges of state ownership, multi-club ownership, all these issues are going to um, characterise global football in the coming years, uh, which is probably another reason why it's probably a good thing for someone like Vatsky to end his era and hand it over to somebody who, for good or for bad, can um, yeah can, can navigate can navigate these waters. Um, and I think whoever does take over Dortmund in those in those um, in those waters um, I think he'll or she will take over um, a club which is well set up to do so. Um, for for years in Dortmund, they've been talking about finding this famous balance between Beijing and Borsigplatz. So Borsigplatz being the uh, the square in just north of Dortmund city centre, where the club were founded, where they you know go around the 
the roundabout, celebrating celebrating titles, even if you know if Dortmund fans could remember long enough back to remember celebrating Bundesliga titles. But yeah, and and so yeah, that's the that's the that's the old traditional Borussia Dortmund and um and and, and Beijing, I suppose used as I suppose used as just as a, as a as a symbol of uh, general global support and global interest, um, in the club. Um, so Dortmund are no strangers to that. Uh, so they're not the worst placed club in the world to deal with this this new world, uh, but they're going to be the they're going to be the key the key challenges for whoever whoever follows Vatska. It's a top ten European club. I mean, you have to say that, right? At least top ten, top twenty. Stefan, lots of people would like that job. I would assume. Yeah, they would. Um... You know, as Matt said, there's a there's a kind of new stage of European football coming along. Um, they may be a top ten European club, but unfortunately, the future European football may suggest that that means they're actually the thirtieth or fortieth richest club in Europe after twenty or thirty English teams, um, as the way things seem to be going. Um, and that's always kind of been Dortmund's struggle in the modern eras, is much like Bayern or Leverkusen or you know. Real Madrid or Inter Milan, um, you know, PSG, I'm going to go PSG, but, you know, Marseille, all these clubs are kind of dealing with the kind of changing current of European football, the money that English football kind of sucks in. So, and hey, look, Dortmund more than anyone else have benefited from that over the last kind of five or 10 years and the way that they've sold players and the way that they've made money from players. And, you know, we're about to talk about one who they made an absolute fortune off and are now getting back for free more or less than two years later or three years later. So, you know, that's a perfect example of how Dortmund have managed to kind of navigate that previous era. But they do need someone who can think a little outside the box and going forwards and someone who, you know, I mean, I keep coming back to this, but isn't just going to be beholden to the spreadsheets at the end of the financial year of a year and, and, and pat themselves on the back if if those look better than the ta- the, the league table uh, come May, that I think Dortmund fans are perhaps a little sick of the spreadsheet coming before the league table, if you will. Um, of course, there has to be financial prudence. Of course, the club's future has to be um, um, go- goes beyond doubt. But um, they, I think they do need someone who kind of thinks outside the box from a sporting point of view because the club's kind of transfer policy over the last kind of couple of years has been more and more hoping to kind of hit a home run with these kind of young players that they kind of hoover up from France and England uh, and then just kind of filling in the rest of the squad with bog standard Bundesliga players and asking an average head coach to make it work and you know and that's the sad thing when we talked about you know I remember when Erling Haaland left the club I wrote a piece saying that he scored a bazillion goals for Dobbin but if you actually look at the club's progress either in the league or in Champions League it didn't move the needle at all and Jude Bellingham came very close to winning a Bundesliga title but aside from that it was the same sort of thing so that's the kind of frustration I think people have with Dortmund from a sporting point of view whereas maybe on a business level they've ticked along just fine Um, and I think they need someone after Vasco who can kind of flip that and make them a success on a sporting level whereas maybe in a financial level they go back to being a very kind of normal bog standard club yeah, I think I think sporting wise, Stefan makes a um, a good point. It probably is the the last few like four or five or maybe four or five years under under that skirt. I think you can um, you can express genuine sporting criticisms of Dortmund, and like I said, it's because that initial um, philosophy 
business plan that they had did, did tend to peter out and they, they wanted to, to take the next step. They identified, in my opinion, incorrectly that that next step was to supplement the you know, the, the, the young talents they had coming through with proven Bundesliga talent. Um, hence why they've ended up with the likes of Marcel Sabitzer, Niklas Fulkog, um, Emily Chan, Ben Tabaini, etc. Um yeah, all, all leading the line, and yeah, that was the decision they made. Yeah, I, I think that was an incorrect one. I think it's probably probably showing this season. This is it's not the way to go. So yeah, you need someone to think outside the box. That's where I think yeah, someone someone external probably then would be would be my choice. Um, some of the coaching choices in recent years have also been questionable. Um, you would have thought on paper that Marco Rosa would have been a really good fit for 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 Dortmund, um, but obviously. Didn't, didn't work out after a very short time. Thomas Tuchel obviously extenuating, uh, mitigating circumstances surrounding the, 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 the bus attack and Tuchel as a personality himself who, who clashed with Vatsko, obviously a powerful personality. Um, Where it, would it, Dortmund be if Tuchel had never clashed with Vatsko? I mean, I think it's a massive if. I think it's an if we've discussed before, but it's not, the, 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 the clash with the clash with Vatsko is it, itself inextricably linked to the bus attack. Um, so... It's difficult to really take one without the other. Um, although, yeah, I mean, Vatska was such a dominant alpha male figure at Rossi Dortmund. Was always, we always, probably also always struggled with that, with that sort of powerful coaching, um, co- coaching character. Um, if you can criticise more, so yeah, like I say, some of the coaching, the, the coaching decisions and appointments. I think most recently, um, I think the Terzic. Yeah, we we've discussed it loads, loads of times, haven't we? Um, and, and we'll probably uh, lots more. We probably will lots more. Yeah, um, yeah. To, he's not proven yet that he that he has the pedigree to take Borussia Dortmund to the next level. And I mean, I'll happily be proven wrong, I suppose. But um, I fail to see how the decision to bring in or to bring back, bring in Sven Bender and Novi Shahin by by Tezic's side will 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 really help that. Might be proven wrong, um, and to an extent. Same applies to Sebastian Kaler's sporting director. Um, uh, I, I think he's a a good operator to deal with. Um, he may have um, a bright future as a as a functionary um, and as as an executive ahead of him. Um, I think he I think he is an intelligent operator. Um, but his his, uh, his transfer operations and squad building haven't been up to scratch so far. There's no other way to. Put that. Yeah, but okay, uh, I'm going to defend Sebastian Kiel here, Matt, because <laughs> I know that he wanted to do things a little different and he wasn't allowed to. You know, um, you know, and I think I've reported that as well, um, that there were certain deals that Sebastian Kiel wasn't allowed to do because Terzic and Matske vetoed it, mostly Terzic. But, you know, guys, um, Stefan said players moving the needle uh, for Borussia Dortmund. Now one of those players that couldn't also not also didn't move the needle, uh, although he did win the Pokal, I guess, with Erling Haaland, um, is Jaden Sancho. And I do want to move the discussion to that topic. Um, this episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up to date, up to the seconds odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code Believe that is B L E A V 
believe to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. By the time of recording, Man United and Borussia Dortmund still uh, hushing out the finer details of the deal. The only thing that seems to hold this up, and I'm coming to you here first, Matt, because I, I personally think this is hilarious, but Manchester United wants to make the deal look good for them publicly. Um, I think there's no, no way in the world that Manchester United are going to look good um, coming out of this deal publicly right now. I mean, they might at the end if Jadon Sancho does well at Dortmund, does return to Man United and looks like the player he was, gosh, two years ago now, right? But um, there, there will be one day, I think, a book written about what went wrong at save for Jadon Sancho at Manchester United. Um, but ultimately, it did go wrong. And I know you are a Man United supporter. This is your English club. Um, you're close to the club. You understand the club. What do you think went wrong here? Like you said, given that the reason why, the as we speak, the, the deal is still being held up, given that that is down to Manchester United, um, yeah, looking to score some sort of communicative uh, PR points out of um, out of the whole situation um i think that that tells at least half of the story um jaden sancho um i think to a great extent has himself to blame we'll we'll come on to that um but i think there's a massive caveat involved here in that jaden sancho is not the only player who has struggled to make an impact at manchester united in the last 10 12 years um he joins a long list um when He's returning to the Bundesliga at the same time as Donny van der Beek. You can you could arguably put him in that bracket as well. Um, Sancho arrived at United at yeah one of several strange periods uh, over the over the past ten years um, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, and I think looking back, that's probably where one of the first problems um, arose in that um, as a young player. Um, who had benefited so well from being in that sort of Bundesliga ecosystem. Um, I think the move probably came at the wrong time. Um, being at Dortmund at the time he was, I think particularly under Lucio Favre, even though he didn't have the, the greatest relationship with um, with Favre, he was nevertheless at a club and in a league, um, which is yeah quite is quite keen and focused on its tactical development and sometimes it's a detriment in that you end up with a lot of a lot of clubs a lot of teams playing effectively the same way uh nevertheless a lot of Bundesliga clubs do um place a greater focus on you know much better um yeah better planned attacking patterns um tra- transitional play um yeah trained automatisms on the uh, on, on the training ground uh, and I, I think that benefited Jaden Sancho greatly um, yeah he was then taken out of that environment and placed in an environment in Manchester under a coach who um, yeah similarly lacked the pedigree um, yeah, we were talking about Edin Terzic earlier I think there are probably certain similarities there to the environment that Sancho then found in Manchester was uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer where the football was very one-dimensional that was purely based on uh, purely, yeah, purely based on counter-attacks at least against the top teams um, and there didn't seem to be much much more of an offensive plan beyond that so I don't think that was helpful for a young player like Jadon Sancho 
Um, what also didn't help him was him arriving at the same in the same summer as the surprise return of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, particularly as Sancho had been earmarked largely for the right wing, um, that was then obviously taken taken by Ronaldo. Um, and even though I always thought Sancho was 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 at his most dangerous on the left hand side for Dortmund, cutting it onto his right foot the way he used to do. Um, at, at least at the time, that position at United was was generally filled by Marcus Rashford, um, who similarly enjoyed cutting on cutting his head onto his right foot, albeit in a more direct and penetrative way than perhaps Jadon Sancho's dribbles. Um, so, yeah, it, it all got off to a pretty unfortunate start on 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 several levels. Um, add to that the consistent changes of coach. Um, Ralph Ranić actually spoke quite highly of of Sancho during his short tenure in in interim charge of United. Maybe that's not surprising, given that so many Bundesliga clubs, including Borussia Dortmund, whether they like it or not, have ended up playing a similar style of football to the one which Ralph Ranić, arguably to a great extent, introduced to the to, to, to German football. So maybe it's no surprise that Ranić was a particularly fan of Jadon Sancho's at least um, at least his uh, potential talents. Um, nevertheless, uh, like I said, um, despite all the caveats, Jadon Sancho isn't also not helped himself, has he? Which uh, yeah, I'm sure you two will have noticed that as well. Yeah, I mean, Stefan, I think you'd probably have a lot of thoughts, but like, obviously, um, I think that it takes two to fight. Um, I do think that given Manchester United's track record with a lot of other signings, um, there is this, this might be more on the club than the player, but you know, Sancho also didn't help himself with his social media antics. Um, that is something I think that he needs to work on. Um, I think too, there was also reports that he didn't show up for practice on time. Um, you know, I don't know how much there is to that story. Um, I just don't, I think the one thing that I always think if it's one player who doesn't work out, that's fine. But if you're on a consistent basis, manage to sign players and they're getting worse, where they worse at your club, then it's usually the club's fault. I mean, we have lots of examples like that in Germany, right? Um, Hamburger's foul, for example, were notorious for signing players that gotten worse there. And that usually comes down to the club uh, and the philosophy of the club. So I think there is something generally wrong. The one thing that I have, and maybe let's, let's move this conversation towards what this means for Borussia Dortmund, um, I learned a long time ago that you shouldn't go back. Um, what's done is done. Um, you know, and I, I, I worry about players coming back and Dortmund have done this many times, whether it's Jinji Kagawa, uh, Nuri Shaheen, just to mention two, right, um, that did come back and it wasn't the same as it was before simply because the clubs change and teams change and the, um, the environment of the team within the team changes as well. And, I also think that this do this on a short term loan deal um, is something that I am not sure is there's enough time to fix Jaden Sancho from here to June. Obviously, the, the, if this deal includes some sort of you know open door to negotiate a transfer, and it seems that's the case, there is no option to buy. Um, at least that's what the latest is on this maybe this will also change but at the moment it doesn't seem to be an option to buy uh, so Dortmund have no control over the asset which is I think is always um, something that you don't want um, because if you only have 
this player for what six months and then is gone again and you know this is in my opinion fixing Jaden Sancho is not a short-term project it's a medium or even long-term project you need to integrate the player um, you need to get the player up and running quickly because Borussia Dortmund are currently fifth in the Bundesliga which I know yes right now that's a Champions League spot but we don't know if that's still the case um, come um, the end of the season we don't know what, how the Bundesliga will perform in Europe so that's precarious at the least and so I just think that bringing back a player without having control over him is a very very risky thing to do and even if Jaden Sandro hits the ground running and scores lots of goals and assists then he's also gone again because Man United will say, oh, okay, great, thanks, you fixed him. We're going to put him back in our squad or we're just going to sell him for lots of money to another club. Um, so, Stefan, these are the issues I have with this deal. And I think that's probably some of some of your thoughts um, overlap with this. Yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting move. Um, I mean, I completely agree with you in the sense that I'm, I'm a little baffled as to what Dortmund get out of this in the long run, um, if you know they can't agree some sort of deal for a long term move, and and I mean, look, there's we have to bear in mind as well the fact that Sancho is on so much money at Manchester United that you know there's every chance that Man United would be happy to sell him, and I mean, as Matt would probably be able to tell us, there's been quite a lot of reports in England since, um, you know. Ianus, I I, I, I never pronounce the name properly. I don't know why Ianus is it Ianus or Ianus? Ianus, yeah, I don't know why. Just pronounce it like some Greek warrior or something. Um, so a lot of reports that they are even willing to go to the, to the, such an extent that they'd be willing to kind of you know almost com- like just kind of write off players' contracts and just let them leave for good. Um, if it meant they got you know. Um, bad attitudes or players who aren't really willing to kind of all fight for the cause. Um, you know, if if they could get those players out of the, out of the, out of the dressing room, then they'd be willing to kind of take a short term hit on that financially. So you can understand the situation where maybe Man United would be more than willing to discuss the prospect of selling Sancho, but Dortmund simply can't afford them uh, either in terms of a transfer fee or wages. Um, so. I mean, we don't really know the, the finer details there as to whether it's Man United not being willing to sell them or Dortmund just accepting that they would never be able to afford them in the first place. Uh, because I know, for example, they're also chasing Ian Matson, the left back at Chelsea. And I think in that regard, there is an obligation to buy uh, or at least an offer, an op- a clause there, because obviously Chelsea are trying to move players on uh, and Dortmund probably see a young player that they can probably turn around. Um, but that doesn't really help. Uh, I mean that's the that's the why as to why they, there might not be a kind of a sell on fee, uh, but it doesn't really explain the how. And in, in, in that regard, I mean the fact that, as you said, maybe he does turn things around to Dortmund, which is still a big if because you know we can talk about that in a minute. But I don't exactly think there's a red carpet rolled out for him to walk straight into Eden Terzic's first team. Uh, maybe there is, but it's not really what I think is the case. Um, and even if he can do that, and even if he can kind of get his form back on track, um, you know, there's every chance that Man United will have a new head coach next season. Um, and this new head coach may have every intention of bringing Gene Sancho back into the fold at Man United. So it's a short-term solution to um, a problem 
And I'm not entirely sure it is a proper solution to it, to be perfectly honest with you, because it's a huge if to see if Sancho, after two years of, uh, you know, really plateauing at Man United and more or less not even training properly, not playing properly, we don't know what his fitness levels are like as he approaches his move to Dortmund. So it's a huge if as to whether he can even hit the ground running and begin to look like even half the player he was before he left for Manchester United. But all of that would have been willing to stomach if there was some sort of long-term plan for him to return to the club um, and be a long-term solution there. But I, th- I think any of the all the, the doubts and the ifs that are being mentioned, I think they're only problems if there is any assumption that there is any long-term plan at all. And given that I don't think there is, I simply I, I don't see it as a problem at all. Uh, I don't think anybody at Borussia Dortmund thinks they can fix Jadon Sancho. I don't think they, I don't even think that's the aim. Um, I don't think anyone at Borussia Dortmund has any intention of signing Jadon Sancho long term. They simply can't afford him, um, and Sancho. So why bring him back at all? Um, well, because he's firstly he's got nowhere else to go, and secondly he's he, he's effectively there on a free. They're paying was it three three million euros as a loan fee, and Manchester United are play, uh, continuing to pay the lion's share of his wages. Um, Dortmund are desperate for something, anything to enliven their attacking play. Um, Given given that start of the season, whether Jaden Sancho can do that or not, I don't know. It remains to be seen. It probably is quite unlikely, given that he's not chained. He's not even chained with the first team. He's not even chained with the under twenty ones um, in 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 recent in in recent months. Um, but Borussia Dortmund aren't losing anything. Um, he's not a long term solution. We discussed before what the long term is for Borussia Dortmund. That's still very much in the stars. They have bigger issues to sort out long term than, than Jaden Sancho, and and you know, that that revolves around around Vatska, around Terzic, around Kale. Um, I think yeah, I think it's a it's a yeah a, a no a no lose situation for Dortmund for six months. Um, and as we mentioned, it's a um, it's a potential. Win. I mean, I, I also think unlikely, but a potential win for United long term if he does find his way back to some sort of form uh, and he's able to return uh, to Old Trafford, either in a situation where United can sell him on to a club who could afford him and take him on long term, or into um, yeah a United team under 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 a new under a new coach under a new sporting structure now that Ineos um, are um, in the building. Um, so yeah, um, I don't really, I don't really agree with the, I don't really share the skepticism, um, because I think that's all predicated on the idea that Dortmund would even want him long term, and I just don't think that's a factor. It it could become a factor if it becomes a story, and that's the last thing Dortmund need at the moment. They, sim- um, they simply is... can't afford him though, Manu. That's the thing. No, no, I know, but even like might... if. Even though they might, they might like the narrative, um, and they're dealing with a club who deals with in, in narratives and like quite hopeless narratives better than but most. In, you in exist, United, but you, now you exist in a sphere where you're fixing another club's problem. Yeah, perhaps, and, but, but they, not... you do have nothing to gain from that. And on top of that, there is a risk that if Sancho does not hit the ground running and, you know, be shows some of the same attitude that was criticised at at Manchester. Then all of a sudden you have another story, on top of all the stories that you're already carrying for the season. But even and that it does be, create some even that will be limited just to six months, and then he'll be out the door again. Yeah, but you um, can't. Be, the, the the point is, you don't have six months. You have six months to salvage a season because Champions League football is so crucial, right? They're not in the Champions League spot right now. I mean, 
yes, on paper they are, but you know how fleeting that is. Do we have the guarantee that fifth is enough? Heck, heck, can they even secure fifth the way things are going, right? And I think that is there is a risk in that. This could cost you money. Um, well, as we said, it, 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 in terms of Champions League, it cost them money, but that, that, won't be any, that won't be anything to do with the Jaden Sancho deal. If, and it's, it's a massive if, Jaden Sancho suddenly miraculously returns to farm and has a fantastic three or four months now with, with Dortmund and fires him into the Champions League, everyone's happy. Um, if he doesn't, um, then he'll go back to Manchester either way. Dortmund can't, Dortmund can't lose from this, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they, they can, and if, 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 you know, it doesn't work, and then, as Manu says, they end up finishing fifth or sixth, or I guess sixth in particular. But that'll have nothing to do with the Sancho deal, will it? That'll be down but to the Dortmund. Well, it could, if it well, does cause so more discontent. It, it, well, yeah, and it, and it does if, if they feel an obligation to play him week in, week out, um, and nothing happens. And, you know, and this kind of takes me on to the thing that I'm kind of a little baffled by is that, you know, I, I, you know, Matt mentioned a moment ago about why things that work out for at Man United and he touched on the fact that they already have a number of players in that position when he joined the club. Uh, Marcus Rashford's the most obvious one, but God, they had a whole backlog of players there when he joined, you know. Anthony Martial, Greenwood, Juan Mata, even Paul Pogba was playing left on the left side, I think, as well at, that, at some points. And, you know, you look at that Dortmund team and there's there's an equal amount of players who'll be vying for that kind of left wing spot or right wing spot, let's be honest, they can all play their wing uh, either way and, you know, uh, got Julian Brandt who, okay, has maybe played more central this season but often gets shoved out wide if, if, if Terzic's trying to squeeze everyone in. Marco Royce has been playing a lot more this season as a number 10, of course, but can also play it wide. Uh, Daniel Malin, um, who's been hot and cold. Karim Adeyemi, who's been somewhat Far from impressive, to be honest with you, but, you know, a big transfer, big earner at Dortmund, a player who kind of demands consideration week in, week out. Uh, and then, of course, the one player who's actually looked quite good so far this season, I've even mentioned Gio Reyna, by the way, but he's there as well, um, is Jamie Bino-Gittins, who almost exclusively plays in that left wing role. Um, and, you know, if, 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 if from now until the end of the season he's sitting on the bench because Dortmund have an obligation to play Jadon Sancho on that left wing, that's just going to cause further frustration. It's going to cause further turmoil between the fans and the club. And it, it, it just kind of further breeds this scent, this contempt for the sporting project of the club because it just kind of get, you just get a sense that nothing is working. And, you know, like I said, if there was a long-term plan here and if if Jaden Sancho arrives and the plan is for him to eventually return to the club and there's some sort of bizarre agreement, then you can understand why Terzic and the board would prioritise Sancho on that left wing week in, week out. But if he's just a loan signing, then where's the, where, where is the actual incentive to actually even play him in the first place if you've got someone like Bino Gittins or Daniel Malin, or Adeyemi, or Gio Reyna, assets or Julian Brun. Assets that you own, right? So that, well, that's, what, that, that's, that's why I think he's just a nice, Sancho is a nice bonus to have. Now, we're talking about big ifs and hypotheticals. If Edin Terzic feels an obligation to have to play Jaden Sancho, now I, I don't believe for a second that there is any, any anything contractual that Sancho has to play, but if Terzic then just 
feels obligation to have to play him, then then again that's that that's a different issue altogether. That's Edin Terzic's problem. Um, um, I think yeah, I think if if Manny's if Manny's right, um, then Sancho can be an a potential added bonus, nothing not nothing more. And if if, if at least if I were at Borussia Dortmund in this situation, that's exactly how I would see him. Um, he's he's absolutely not a match fit. He's not played in ages. He's had two terrible years. Um, if he can provide one or two goals, assist the odd performance here and there, maybe even off the bench, which, as part of a greater constellation, contributes to Dortmund getting into the Champions League and he leaves again, then okay, great. Um, if it turns out in training that he's clearly not up to speed and doesn't even make the matchday squad for two more months, then also so be it. Uh, it's not cost him anything, hardly. But yeah, obviously it's going to have to be well managed. But you'd you'd have to you'd have to presume that um, that Kael, Terzic, uh, Shahin, and Bender have all discussed this and are prepared for that. Mm. If not, that's their issue. Yeah, I mean the other thing as well is that Terzic has had this kind of unique kind of issue with inside forwards in the squad this season. You know, in the sense that if there's one position that seems to continue eluding, it does seem to be those kind of wide roles where he hasn't really managed to get a song out of Daniel Malin, out of Adeyemi. Obviously, Gio Reyna had his issues before Terzic arrived, but that hasn't changed. Um, Vino Gittins is probably the only one I can think of that's actually seemed to thrive despite his injuries. Um, so if you, got, if you actually kind of want to flip it and say, what does Jaden Sancho get out of this move to Dortmund? There's a lot of risks there as well because... You know, he might he'd probably be looking at a squad thinking if if he can't get Daniel Malin or Adiemi to work this system, why would Jaden Sancho work in it? Obviously you could argue he's a better player, but tactically and in terms of the formation, there's nothing about what Dormand have done this season that says they know how to get the best out of inside forwards. No, there's not I agree I agree with that. Although one thing that might stand to benefit Sancho is that Edin Terzic does like to does like to do these direct direct substitutions. Um, direct replacements where he'll he'll take off uh, a winger simply replacing with what what are effectively fresh legs that I can imagine would feasibly be um, a role that Jaden Sancho um, would play in the in the final twenty minutes of games um, if if his match fitness was considered up to it. Um, Daniel Marlin, in at least in the second part of last season, would be an example of a player who arguably did find his best form eventually under Terzic. Um, although there's rumours that even he could be off, which again might be another reason why uh, having at least the option of Jaden Sancho in, in the squad is a good idea. All right. Well, I think we need to wrap this up, but here's my final analogy. I think Borussia Dortmund are a mechanic who should be fixing their own cars, but rather than fixing their own cars, they're taking someone else's a car fixed up instead while their own cars are still rusting um, in the driveway because that's what's going on here. I think of all the assets that they have that they need to get going first, Adeyemi, for example, Marlin, etc. And instead they're bringing on someone else's project um, for free, sure, but also to no gain. Um, guys, this was great. So far, so much fun to be back. Um, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, and of course, we're back to our normal schedule now, um, which means transfer show, bonus show. Stefan, you're writing something, I think, on Borussia Dortmund. Um, I am not sure yet what I'm going to write on this week, but I will be writing on something this week, and so you can expect those on the game pressing Substack as well. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up, guys? 
Nope, just uh, again, Happy New Year to everyone and let's mm-hmm. hope 2024 is a good one for German football. Yeah, obviously. Matt, any final thoughts? Yeah, I echo that. Um, Bundesliga's back next week and I hope I'll be in Darmstadt for Dortmund's first game. And then we go again, don't we? We'll go again. Happy New Year, everyone, and uh, enjoy the football. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.